Hey, good morning. We are so glad that you are here worshiping with us this morning. My name is Andrea Smith, and I have the privilege of being the pastor here at West. If you're worshiping with us online this morning, we extend a very special and warm welcome to you. Before we dive into the message in this new message series called Stranger Things, I wanted to do one thing. Josh Doom is one of our worship leaders here. You just heard him sing a phenomenal song, 3 a.m. And on Friday of this week, Josh is going to be getting married. So I wanted you guys to wish him well. I get to have the privilege of sharing in their wedding and doing the service, so I'm excited about that. But we are grateful for all that the worship team and and Josh does to lead us as we encounter new topics that perhaps we uh, have questions about or things that we deal with in Scripture. Now, will you let me know by your clapping if you have ever seen any parts of the show on Netflix, Stranger Things? Will you clap? Okay, if you have no idea what I'm talking about at all, will you clap? Oh dear, all right. Well, I'm glad that I watched more of Stranger Things yesterday in prep for the message. So it's this hot show right now on Netflix and it really is a a very riveting show and it talks a lot about life, about loyalty, about love, about monsters, about other realities. But the premise is is this little boy named Will. He and his friends are playing a game similar to Dungeons and Dragons and and then he's going back home and he encounters like this this feeling that there's something chasing him. And so when he gets home, some weird things start happening. So he goes out to the shed and he takes a gun with him. He's all prepared to get ready to shoot this monster. And then uh, before he can do that, he just disappears. And so the whole first season is Will's family and his friends trying to find him. The, the people try to tell the family that he is is dead. The mom, Joyce, does not believe it. And so the whole season is is around this. And this interesting thing, there's like this secret government project that they've been working on in this laboratory. And there's this young girl named Elle, or Eleven. She has a tattoo on her arm of, of her identity. It's Eleven. And she has these superpowers. And she can control things with her mind. And she is evidently a, a study, a project of this governmental agency. They They're trying to find her, and as she goes between the two worlds, between the two dimensions, she encounters this really, really scary-looking monster. And so then this monster, because she encounters it and breaks the dimensions, uh, this monster then, through a gate or a portal, is able to come into everybody else's existence, and so that's the scary part. And for the remainder of the season, they're battling this monster. They're trying to find Will, and it it really is a a riveting show. Now, the thing that I think is so interesting about it is it really is one of the hottest shows on Netflix right now. People are talking about it. And there are things that happen in the show that cannot be explained. Now, it's fiction. I mean, we we believe that. But it caused me to start to wonder, there are things that happen in our lives today And things that happened thousands of years ago in in scripture that can't be explained either. A few months ago, a friend was talking to me and they said, you know, why doesn't God do miracles anymore? And I said, well, what do you mean? And, And they said, well, you know, why doesn't God 
perform miracles. I don't see any miracles anymore. So it caused me to start to think, and I started talking to some of you and saying, you know, do you believe in miracles? And the bottom line is we we have some questions around this. So I thought, well, let's look in scripture and let's look in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and, and Paul and see what these guys have to say about miracles. And then uh, Stranger Things was hot. So I thought, well, let's tie it into that series. Now, I want to show you, because I do believe that there are lots of things that we can learn from in our spirituality and TV and movies are some of those and songs. So I want to show you a clip of the show. Now this is Joyce and she has already experienced the loss of Will and I want you to take a look at this, at this clip. communicating with his mom from this alternate dimension, uh, this other world through the lights. Now, this morning, we are going to talk about miracles and, and if they still happen today and where and how they happen. And in a few weeks, we're going to talk about the fact that, you know, the question, why do some people get a miracle and others don't? But before we get into that, I want us to think for just a few minutes about the, the question, do miracles really exist? And do they happen anymore? Now, there are two different lines of thought around this. One uh, is that folks believe that uh, the things that we read in, in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and these accounts of Jesus, that they're bogus and they're not real and they never exist. Uh, to begin with, that it's you know the greatest conspiracy theory of all time. Now, there's another way of thinking about miracles, and it is that, yes, these things that we read in the New Testament are true, and they did happen, but as soon as the disciples and those immediate followers after Christ, as soon as they died, God quit working in a miraculous way in our world, and so miracles don't happen anymore. Now, I don't know where you fall on that spectrum, whether you think maybe it's all bogus or maybe they stopped happening. But 
After 22 years of ministry, I really can say, and I'm not crazy, I might be a little bit, but I'm not, you know, I'm not totally just batty. I've seen things happen. I've heard stories from people that have experienced the death of loved ones that don't make logical sense. And while no one in my realm of existence have experienced the bodily resurrection of their loved ones, they have experienced communication or, or a presence of their deceased loved one in their lives after the loved one has, has passed away. People have had dreams, uncanny dreams, in, in which they experience realms of, of life that are, are different than here on this earth. So wherever you fall in believing miracles still exist, I'm going to ask that you entertain it for just a few weeks. And, and let's look at what happened in scripture and then see maybe what these miracles mean. Because there's one thing about scripture that I'm not sure we always think about when these these guys, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Paul wrote the New Testament, and there were some women that contributed, they just never made the canon. Uh, when these guys contributed to the New Testament, they had lived it, they had experienced it. And so we have, a couple of thousand years later, taken their words, though, and, and perhaps misunderstood their meanings. Sometimes I think we take scripture in the New Testament and the Old Testament way too literally and this morning, I want us to look at this miracle story about Jesus healing a leper, and I want us to, to look at it and the stories over the next couple of weeks in, in regard to two questions. Every time you encounter a miracle story in, in scripture, it is telling us something that is different than just the literal words on the page. There's more meaning there, and that meaning that is there shows us two things. Number one, the nature of God. So Jesus came and he embodied God and walked on this earth uh, among his friends and, and his family and he revealed to us and apparently it stuck because here we are talking about it a couple of thousand years later. He revealed to us the very nature and essence and being of God. So in every miracle story that we encounter, we can look at it deeper and see who God is and we can also answer one more question. We can find out where God is. Is. Sometimes I think we go through life and we think God is so far away and, and we miss out on that connection with the divine. That's what I think is so powerful about this, this move, this show, Stranger Things. The people, they are encountering this presence, this, this energy, and, and it drives them. Now that's fiction. But I don't believe God is fiction. And, and many of you don't either or you wouldn't be here. There is something otherworldly. God is not contained within our earth or our universe. There is something otherworldly about God and God is not in contradiction with science. God is, is interwoven in all parts of our existence. And I would challenge us to believe that these phenomena or di different things, weird things, stranger things, they do still happen. Sometimes I think we just don't see you know, we were talking about miracles at Crafted Conversations. That's the service we have on Sunday nights where it's not me talking and people are grateful for that. And we sit around tables and we ask questions and we explore faith. And we were talking about miracles and somebody said, well, you know, I just, I don't know. I don't know how to see them. 
And so as we sat there, we talked about, well, what about every morning when we realize that our bodies are still functioning and all the intricacies that happen within our own physical existence, that it's all still working. Is life itself not a miracle? So this morning, I want us to look at one of the first miracles that Luke records. Now, Luke was a physician. He was a doctor, so he was all into healing. So this miracle that we're gonna talk about and look at, it's about healing about Jesus cleansing a leper. Once, when Jesus was in one of the cities, and that's really important as we look at this miracle and we think about the nature of God, to to see Jesus was in a city. There was a man covered with leprosy. Now, when the man saw Jesus, he fell down to the ground. He bowed with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, If you choose, you can make me clean. And then Jesus stretched out his hand, touched him, and said, I do choose. Be made clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him. Now Jesus ordered him to tell no one, go, show yourself to the priest, and as Moses commanded, make an offering for your cleansing for a testimony to them. But now more than ever, the word about Jesus spread abroad. Many crowds would gather to hear him to be cured of their diseases. And Jesus would withdraw to deserted places and pray. So when the leper goes up to Jesus, he, he reveals that he believes that Jesus is Lord and can heal him. So clearly he's got some faith going on. But He doesn't ask Jesus, will you heal me? He says, could you heal me? Heck, I don't know if that's what he said. Hold on just a minute. No, that was not what it is. I knew that didn't make any logical sense. I'm sorry. If you choose, see? And see, if you're new to West, I just need to let you in on a little secret. I'm very human. And my brain sometimes mixes up words and forgets things. I call religious leaders aristocats. I, I change religious holidays. And I am as human and as normal as you are. There is nothing holy or righteous about me. So, sorry. I knew that that didn't make sense. And sometimes when I'm preaching, I make mistakes and I think if I talk long enough, I can talk my way out of that mistake. That one was like pivotal because the whole theology of the miracle is not could because clearly the man had faith. So that was like one of those preacher faux pas. I, I apologize. It was, Lord, if you choose to, if you choose to heal me, and Jesus did. Now, where do you, where do we need healing in our lives? Because as we look at this miracle and we look at what the the leper said to Jesus, will you choose to? I think that is something if we will own what we need healing from today, whether it's pain, 
at severed relationships or pain of lost relationships or loss of loved ones or whether it's the pain and the shackles that come with addiction or depression, those things that we struggle with. If we will, if we will look at deep within ourselves and, and honor the things that we have that hold us captive and then follow the whole theme of this miracle and recognize that there is something, someone, some power that is bigger than we are that will reach into our lives and touch us and heal us, then I believe that we can experience that miracle of healing. Lord, do you choose, will you choose to heal me? And Jesus did. Now, I I said every miracle we need to look at and try to explore the nature of God. So this miracle reveals to us that, that God loves everybody and that there is nothing that we have in our lives, nothing that we've done, nothing that we hold onto our deep, dark secrets that is so bad or so ugly or so contagious that it keeps us from the love of God. Leprosy was a big deal back then. If I wanted to bore you this morning, I I could read lots and lots and lots of laws from the Hebrew scripture, and we could see that, you know, if you were a leper, you had to cover your top lip, and when you were in town, when you were walking into town, you had to yell out as you were coming to the outskirts of town because you technically weren't allowed in the town, so the guy was already breaking the laws by being in the city, but as you were approaching the town, you had to holler out, unclean, unclean, as you came in to interact with other people because, you know, nobody wanted to touch a leper. They were the lowest of the low. They were, they were considered dirty and defiled, and, and the only people that could have interaction with the lepers were the priest. And so if you notice, after Jesus heals him, he says, you know, now go back to the priest and, and perform those rituals so they can see that you've been made clean. Now, in this story, the leper is bold and courageous. So he breaks the law and he breaks the the rules of not going into town and you don't hear him saying, unclean, unclean, as Jesus approaches. He has some hope and he has some bold courage That if he is willing to lay his stuff at the feet of Jesus or in the arms of Jesus, that Jesus will in his divine power and grace and love make him clean. Do we have that kind of courage in our lives? You know, I need healing from stuff and and I bet if, if we all explore our inner beings, we all need a miracle You know, the Greek word that's used in this passage when Jesus is talking to the leper, it does not just mean, you know, to bring and restore physical health. It means forgiveness and to be set free. We all have stuff that holds us captive in our lives. We have stuff that makes us a prisoner to it instead of us controlling it. Where do we need healing today because there's 
there's this Lord, there's this Savior that reveals to us this loving, unconditional nature of God. And God is found in this story right there with the leper, just a touch away. And that's how close God is to us today. I think we forget that these divine things can happen in our lives. So maybe we don't get, you know, the physical healing miracle. It it doesn't mean that we certainly shouldn't pray for them. But we have to remember, too, that our prayers, they don't work like God is the ultimate uh, vending machine, And we get to offer up this prayer and it's like pressing a button. And if I pray this, then this is going to happen. And if I pray this, this is going to happen. Truly, no one, I believe, understands how God works. But we can understand the nature of God. And if we will believe that God is all loving And God wants nothing but good for us. And if we also acknowledge, just like in the show Stranger Things, that there was this other world, this dark world, this monster, that's symbolic of our own lives. Because, you know, where there is God and where there is good, there's an alternate thing as well, and it's called evil. We don't talk a lot about Satan in the United Methodist Church, but, but evil does exist, and it is very real. So there are two forces that exist in this world, good and evil. And we also believe in the United Methodist denomination in this thing called free will. So we don't believe that God is this giant uh, puppeteer up there and controlling us and everything we do. We believe that there's room for us to make our own decisions. And as we do and as decisions have been made for thousands of years before us, All of those decisions, they interact with each other. And, you know, we have this thing called life. And sadly, in this thing called life, there are, there are tragic diseases that people that we love fall prey to, or perhaps we are struggling with. And then we, we read stories like this in scripture that Jesus heals this leper. And so we pray, you know, God, will you heal me? One of the, First lessons that I learned in ministry about God and healing and the mystical realm of God that we don't understand. I learned from one of the senior pastors that I was working underneath. We had made a home visit to a lady who was in her late 30s. She had had breast cancer and she had gone through chemo and and radiation about seven years before. And she had three small children and the cancer came back. And this time it had spread to her brain. There was a tumor in her brain and they had been to Baptist Hospital that day to try to determine whether or not the tumor was operable. And that night, not knowing the results of those scans and all those things, the senior pastor and I went to her home to be with her and her husband and to pray with them. Now, I have the same kind of skepticism and And questions about the writings of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Paul that you do. So I wondered, okay, so what's going to happen here, God? You know, because why is the cancer back? 
She's got three small kids. This does not feel fair on any level. And so what? Are, are we going to you know, ask for a miracle? And, and what's going to happen when we do? And what's going to happen if we ask for a miracle and she doesn't get one? And so as we sat there and we prayed with them and we had joined hands and laid hands on her, the, the pastor said, dear God, we love you, we praise you, we thank you. And he gave affirmation to God and then he said, now God, boldly tonight here, we are praying for a miracle. We are praying for a big, bold miracle that that tumor will, number one, be operable, and number two, that it will come out, and then that the cancer will, you know, go into remission and be at bay, and she will have quality and quantity of life. God, that's what we're praying for. But God, we also know that healing comes in a lot of ways. And the ultimate healing comes when we leave this world and go to the world that is everlasting. That prayer that he prayed that night changed everything for me. We can pray for bold miracles. I've seen miracles. There was a gentleman who was in his 60s. He had been a United Methodist pastor all his life. All of his kids were preachers, all four of them, and I had the opportunity to work with one of them. And his dad was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. And he went to the hospital up in the western part of the state and they referred him to Duke. And so he went to Duke. They saw um, a massive tumor in his colon. They did not give him a good prognosis. He was being seen by this, you know, phenomenal surgeon and the surgeon told the family he said look I have one day a one day window that I can operate on your dad and it is tomorrow now after that I'm going to be traveling to Saudi Arabia and he was going to operate on one of the governmental dignitaries in, in Saudi Arabia he said but you know I really I really want to do this surgery with your dad so they did more scans each of them showed the tumor in this one place and all that. Well, prior to John, that's the gentleman that had the cancer, going to Duke, the family asked that we have a healing service because they were all pastors. They didn't want to lead the service. And so they said, well, would you do it? And I talk about feeling unqualified for something. I'd only been in ministry like one or two years. I said, well, sure. I didn't know what to do. I didn't have to. All the people came and John knelt at the altar rail there in that church and everybody, the church, 150, 200 people were there and, and they gathered around him and they laid hands on him and they prayed. Now, in that room that night, regardless of what happened, with the surgery in the days to come, that was a miracle because there was this energy and this presence that you could tangibly feel. I'm not making it up. 
And that's what happens when we give up our stuff and we lay it down and we're willing to be open and vulnerable to God. God walks in and God takes our pain and takes our brokenness and he brings us healing, presence, and peace. Now, the day that John went into surgery, the surgeon came out and I was there with my boss friend and they all went over. It, it was too soon for the surgeon to come out. You know how these things work if you're in, in ministry and you've been to lots of surgeries. Uh, you know, the surgeon comes out four or five hours later and tells you how it's gone. So I, we all had this sense of doom when the surgeon walked out. And I stayed over in the corner because I wanted to respect the family and their time. And, and all of a sudden I heard Joan, his wife, like scream out and tears were just streaming down her face. And I thought, oh my gosh, he's, he's died on the table. And then Paul and David, his brother, they rushed over and they said, it's gone. I said, what do you mean? They said, it's gone. The tumor's gone. There's no tumor. And no one can explain why. Now, here's something that as Christ followers, I think we deal with. Was the woman who had the three small children any less worthy or less holy or not deserving of a miracle like John? I don't think so. Their miracles were just different. And I'm not sure why we don't always get the miracle that we pray for. But I think what we've got to hold on to is that Jesus reveals to us that God does move into every situation, especially when we give it to him. And God works in miraculous ways. And there is always opportunity and always a place for us to have healing. As we close today, I want to show you a video by Joni Erickson Tata. She's going to tell you just a little bit of her story and talk about healing and where God has been in her life as she's experienced uh, her miracle. Take a look. Just a few weeks after high school graduation, as I was preparing to head off to college, my sister Kathy invited me to go to the beach for a swim. I swam out to this raft, athlete that I was, I didn't even touch bottom, hoisted myself up onto it and then took this really stupid dive into what ended up being extremely shallow water. I snapped my head back when I hit bottom and it crunched my fourth cervical vertebrae, severing my spinal cord. There I was lying face down in the water, desperately hoping that my sister Kathy would please notice that I had not surfaced from my dive. Unbeknownst to me, her back was turned to me. She didn't even see me take that dive. But a crab bit her toe. And it so startled her that she quick turned around in the water screamed to me, Johnny, watch out for crabs. And when she did, she saw my blonde hair floating on the surface. I was face down, ready to drown. She came swimming quickly, pulled me up out of the water. And I never, I never was so grateful for fresh air. She saved me. But 
For what purpose? For what reason? Because now, lying there in a hospital, doctors told me I was going to have to sit down for the rest of my life as a quadriplegic without use of my legs or, or even my hands. My hands don't work. And I remember thinking, God, is this, is this your idea of an answer to a prayer to be drawn closer to you? If it is, you're never going to be trusted with another one of my prayers again. I mean, I'm a new Christian. How could you have taken me so seriously? I sank into deep depression. I remember there were wonderful Christian friends who came to the hospital and they encouraged me. And one Bible verse they shared was from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, where God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans not to harm you, but to help you, plans to prosper you and to give you a hopeful future. God, you, you mean you plan not to harm me? Well, what do you call quadriplegia, huh? What's that all about? As I read that verse and the context around it, I realized something. That when God said that, he was saying it to his children who were being dragged away into captivity by, by the Babylonians. They were going to exile. They were going into slavery. They had decades in front of them of hard, awful suffering. And I began to see that God's plans for a hopeful future for me was not necessarily jumping up, dancing, kicking, doing aerobics, running, walking, getting back use of my arms and my legs. No, God's plans for me go far deeper, a deeper healing, a precious healing of the soul. Because as I was pushed into the arms of God every morning, and that's the truth, even to this day, don't be thinking I'm an expert at quadriplegia, but as it was then in the hospital and as it is today, every morning I wake up saying, Jesus, I can't do this thing called life. Please help me. Please show up. Give me your smile. Give me your strength because I can't make it through the day. And because I go to God with that earnest dependency and, and requirement of His grace every single day, I take that back. No, every single moment I experience the sweetest, most precious, most intimate union with Jesus Christ. So in Jeremiah 29, when God says he won't harm us, doesn't mean the body, doesn't mean our circumstances. He's not going to do anything to harm our soul. Yes, our body may get harmed, but it will somehow serve to enrich our soul. In closing, let me just say that quadriplegia, 46 years of it, that's a long time. I deal with chronic pain. I, um, I had breast cancer a couple of years ago, and I remember I remember as my husband was driving me home in the van from chemotherapy one day, we were talking about how suffering is like little splashovers of hell, kind of like waking us up out of our spiritual slumber. And then we were pulled in the driveway and he said, well, then what do you think splashovers of heaven are? Are they those easy, breezy, bright times where everything's going your way, where you have health? And we said, no. Splashovers of heaven are finding Jesus in your splashover of hell. And to find Jesus in your hell is ecstasy beyond compare. And I wouldn't trade it for any amount of walking in this world. Just a few weeks after high school. In an interview with 
journey, she wrote that the miracle in that situation happened the night before the accident. Uh, she decided that she was tired of her mousy brown hair. So she followed this inkling to go to the drugstore and buy some hair color. And she colored her hair bright blonde. And so that enabled her sister to see her floating face down and go and rescue her and save her life. Now, we don't know how God works and we don't know, you know, how evil works in our lives either. But what we can know is that when we throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus and in the arms of Jesus, like the leper did when the leper said, choose to heal me, would you choose And Jesus said, yeah, yeah, I'm going to heal you. If we say Jesus choose to heal us, then I promise you we will have a healing that brings us a peace that will carry us even through the darkest things. We just have to say, hey, Jesus, choose. Let us pray. Gracious God, you are a God of healing grace and a God of peace. Wherever we are this morning, I just ask that you take our areas in our lives that need your healing presence and God move in us so that we can feel your peace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.